said, you know, if we're not going to really get real about race and racism, then just let me know now <laughs> because I can't commit to doing this work. You know, this is not about a baby closet or providing diapers. Like, yes, those things are important, but that's not why we have racial inequities and babies dying before their first birthday. It's okay, like, to have doulas, to have midwives, but if there's no midwives of color, there's no doulas that are also Black, then you're not really in a space where you feel represented. And so that also causes some dissonance when it comes to making that decision to actually carry out your birth outside of a hospital. We can definitely talk the talk. Like, racism's bad. Everybody's gonna say that, you know, health equity is good. But in practice, how are we doing that really? Welcome to The Pivot, produced by the Gilling School of Global Public Health at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The Pivot features stories of impact, discovery, and surprise in public health, with an emphasis on the human element that helps make big, macro ideas more relatable. My name is Megan Palmer. And I'm Jenny Saya. For this episode, we talked with three community health equity advocates, each at a different stage of her career, about the effect of systemic racism on maternal health outcomes. The medical field knows a lot about the physical aspects of childbirth. They know how to treat many of the conditions and challenges that pregnant people face before and after birth. And yet in North Carolina alone, black mothers are two and a half times more likely to die in childbirth than white mothers. Why? Public health seeks to answer that question by exploring issues of systemic racism in a way that traditional medical institutions often don't. Many black women find that their concerns are not being heard, often because their healthcare providers don't look like them or share their life experiences. Dr. Stephanie Baker is an associate professor of public health studies at Elon University and co-founder of the Health Equity and Racism Lab, or Her Lab. She's also a Gillings alum and taught a UNC course about racism and health inequities with maternal and child health faculty. So they kind of introduced me a little bit more to maternal and child health outcomes. Then I was kind of called into some community spaces to talk more about like social drivers of health and racism and health broadly, and then apply it as best I could, you know, to maternal and child health outcomes. And then, um, then I had a child <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, I was really shocked at my experience and there were just so many questions I have about racism and health and, and maternal and child health outcomes. So, with her foundation in public health, she started looking for answers. In her first role, she worked with Dr. Jenny Ng, who is a professor of health behavior at the Gilling School and is a nationally recognized expert on community-based participatory research. This kind of research is critical in addressing systemic inequities because it taps into local expertise and ensures that community members and organizations are equal partners in the research. As Dr. Baker puts it, the people most impacted by inequities also have the best ideas for solutions. My first job was at UNC Greensboro, and Jeannie Ng, who's still faculty in health behavior, um, she told me I should be a member of the Greensboro Health Disparities Collaborative. And in order to do that, I had to spend two days at a racial equity training. And I was thoroughly confused, I will acknowledge, about why an Asian woman was telling a Black woman that she needed to go spend two days learning about racism. <laughs> and so, but I did go <laughs> because Jeannie's always been a big cheerleader for me. So I figured, you know, she saw something that I I needed to improve upon. So 
it really helped me to understand that while I certainly had the experiences and like a lot of uh, on the ground work with respect to increasing diversity and inclusion, that I didn't have a really strong analysis of race and racism. And that that was something that I really wanted to grow because it also gave me an indication around why in public health that we can have these goals to improve health disparities all the time and never really make any progress on them. Dr. Baker's expanded understanding of racial equity became instrumental for her work moving forward. It allowed her to see the connections between race, racism, and birth outcomes far beyond the surface level. One of our former students at Elon invited me to be on a steering committee for a grant to address racial disparities in infant mortality. And when I was at the table, I said, you know, if we're not going to really get real about race and racism, then just let me know now <laughs> because I can't commit to doing this work. You know, this is not about a baby closet or providing diapers. Like, yes, those things are important, but that's not why we have racial inequities and babies dying before their first birthday. As a part of her work with the Alamance Health Equity Collective, Dr. Baker partners with Community Voices to co-lead health assessments that support in-depth conversations on creating a more equitable Alamance County. It's in the central part of North Carolina, west of Raleigh, and is home to Elon University, where Dr. Baker currently teaches. The health assessment is really focused on three main areas, and it is broadly education, economics, and access to health care. But some of the, the issue, the specific health outcomes that Communities of color, low-income communities in the county are facing are no different than any other county. I mean, chronic disease, infant mortality rates. I mean, I in Alamance County, I think the overall infant mortality rate is around six deaths per 1,000. But for, for, or maybe it's around seven, but for Black women, it's like 14. And for white women, it's like six, you know? So it's huge gaps with respect to infant mortality outcomes. And so that's kind of been one of the areas we've been focusing a bit more on. I asked Dr. Baker about some of the methods a community health assessment might use to measure the impact of strategies created to address these inequities. Measurement is a complicated thing. Um, first, because the need for measurement and to quantify and to you know analyze and evaluate, that's really rooted from my perspective in white supremacy, it's like the need to count, the need to like prove. And a lot of times some of the, the changes and shifts that you see in community aren't necessarily measurable. It's like, how do you measure when power shifts? You know, like how do you measure when people now have more agency to speak for themselves or to go to you know city council? So the way that we, um, to be honest, I, I guess in Alamance County, we haven't done a huge amount of measurement, but we, one of the things that we've been doing is we, when we, we worked on the community health improvement plan last year, we actually had a capstone team from UNC that worked with us and they were hugely helpful in creating kind of some of these goals that our organization, partner organizations and agencies um, could adapt related to racial equity. Like what can you do at a personal level, interpersonal level, institutional level, community level? So one of the ways that we're kind of measuring, I guess, or holding ourselves accountable is during our meetings, we will often have one of our partner organizations present about what they're doing, how they shifted and changed their approaches, 
to their work, um, to be more equity, be equity minded, because the actual outcomes, it's going to take them a while to change. Through her work with the Greensboro Health Disparities Collaborative, Dr. Baker met Dr. Yannicka Fauston, who was completing her master's at Gillings at the time. They began to discuss community-centered approaches to promoting health equity. Now, with them both on faculty at Elon, they partnered to unite the undergrad students who wanted mentoring and experience in this work. So the official birthday of the lab is April 11th, 2021. And that date was intentional because it was the first day of Black Maternal Health Week and the last day of what is now known as like Public Health Week, but was formerly known as Negro Health Week. And so that was a very intentional day because it sort of lied on the intersection of maternal health and, you know, centering Black people. Currently, all the projects in the HER lab examine maternal and child health outcomes, but from many different angles. Dr. Faustin, for example, studies how preterm birth outcomes are linked with nativity, which is where people come from and how that affects their lives. So being Haitian-American, I definitely grew up hearing a ton of stories about Haiti. Um, you know, my dad was very active um, as an activist, a political activist in Haiti. And so I would get, like, bedtime stories about, um, you know, the revolution and all sorts of things that I probably shouldn't have been hearing about so young. Um, but it really did was, like, the beginning of the basis of how I orient myself towards, you know, the study of health equity and social justice. And my work examines um, the Black population across the diaspora and the relationship between racism and health inequity outcomes. In big, bold letters, the HER Lab website features a phrase by Black American author and anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston. Research is formalized curiosity. Dr. Faustin loves this quote. I feel in that quote that sometimes people call their research me-search, you know, because it can be at least so much tied up in your own thoughts and perceptions of the world, right? So, like, while I was in, you know, deciding what I wanted to focus my dissertation on even, um, I thought a lot about what it was like to grow up in Brooklyn, being Haitian and American, um, you know, and I knew people who were from all sorts of places. And I know that we all had different experiences, you know, like we all learned from each other different types of music and cultures and vibes and food and languages. Like there was so much there and so much richness to it. And we were all black. And that's like the most beautiful connecting part of it all. And the way the world perceives you is sometimes going to be varied depending on which version of yourself that they see and that you allow them to see. But really, that whole experience, that the Black experience, I wasn't seeing that in the literature. I think that's why what matters is that more people have the opportunity to take their formalized curiosity and turn it into research. Because if you only have one type of person in the room doing that, then you're only going to get one type of voice that's constantly amplified. That's the, one of the main goals of the lab is that we're providing this opportunity for these students who want to work with the lab. They're getting this orientation to health equity that's anti-racist, you know, that they're getting this orientation to health equity um, that's rooted in centering the analysis of racism so that when they go out, because we know that these students are going to 
end up going out there being, you know, doctors and health providers, you know, other maybe researchers and, you know, scientists of doing their own thing. Um, but whatever it is, we want them to have had this orientation at, at this point in undergrad because I, I didn't have this in undergrad. And um, it took a while to find my path to health equity in this way. And I think like to get it that early, you're really going to be able to shape the field in the future. I think that all the students who come across a lab, I hope that they get that foundation, but I also hope that they understand that they're, you know, they're limitless and they, and they really feel that and experience it and they um, are committed to fighting for health equity and health justice. One of the HerLab's early success stories takes the form of Queen Asada Stevens, a Black Elon student who works as an anti-racist doula. In the lab, she worked on a project focused on understanding why more Black women are choosing to have out-of-hospital births. My name is Queen Asada Stevens. I'm a public health major with minors in theater arts and African and African-American studies, and I'm a senior Actually, Queen graduated in May 2022 and is working as a full-time doula and beginning to think about applying to midwifery school. I recently launched my business, The Doula Queen, over the summer. So, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and you can find me on Google. And, yeah. (laughs) So, Dr. Baker was previously working with another student who is now alumni. And basically, the premise of it is thinking about the reasons behind having an out-of-hospital birth for Black women. Um, And there were basically 30 interviews where they interviewed the women and tried to understand, like, what was your journey, what brought you there, and what are factors that you think affect the greater population of Black women deciding to have out-of-hospital births. And what we found was there there were a lot of key themes. There was fear. There was autonomy that sense of being able to have that power in your birthing experience. But a lot of it I found was that there was a lot of empowerment coming from that and just being able to um, just really take charge and understand that this is a mother-centered experience. And then another big thing was representation. And what I mean by that is they were saying that the deciding factor for some is whether or not you have a black woman in uh, in that birth birthing space. So if there's it's okay like to have doulas to have midwives, but if there's no midwives of color, there's no doulas that are also black, then you're not really in a space where you feel represented and so that also causes some dissonance when it comes to making that decision to actually carry out your birth outside of a hospital. And that's where I feel like I come in as a doula because we definitely need more um, women of color who are in that field. In Queen's first doula experience, the mother chose to have an at-home birth. She had read studies about Black women being three to four times as likely to die from childbirth complications. She was, understandably, unwilling to put herself in an environment with that track record. In November 2021, the Commonwealth Fund reported that while 14% of birthing individuals in the U.S. identify as Black, only 6.3% of certified nurse midwives and 11% of OBGYNs identify as Black. Research, however, shows that when Black patients have Black healthcare providers, a situation known as racial concordance, they receive more information and participate in more decisions about their own treatment. After all, there's not just one way to birth a baby. 
And I think that's the main point is just the education and knowing that there's a different way to have your birth. I think we are brought up where um, as a child, like all you ever really see is that they're like, oh, like you go to the hospital, even in social media or in movies, like you just see it's like this big thing, the water breaks, it's all over the floor, you run into the hospital and it's just a hectic environment. But for her, it's like her water breaking was very like calm. She knew what she wanted, she had a clear vision. And as her doulas, we were just there to support that and make sure that all of that was going to happen for her. Queen is one of the first graduates from Dr. Baker's Her Lab, and she's excited about the possibilities for her future. When I asked Dr. Baker about the roles she envisions students taking after they graduate, she said that there are many paths to address health inequities. We know that race and racism shows up everywhere yeah, and it's impacted great. in every system. So it's like, you want to go teach for America? That's great. Bring this analysis of race and racism with you. You want to go be a nurse practitioner? That's fantastic. Bring this analysis of race and racism with you. Don't forget about what you learned in the lab. Don't forget about how we, you know, center and value our community partners. Don't forget, you know, these things that you are capable of now requiring your institution to attend to. In my like imagined perfect world or closer to perfect world, every institution would hire people who are most impacted by the problems that they're purporting to solve mm -hmm. in a full-time position with benefits and a living wage salary. Because it, it, you know, we always have to kind of go, we need to go out and figure out who to connect with. It's like, no, we need to hire people who are already connected who are constantly serving as those bi-directional communication channels. They're giving information to the institution and reporting back to the institution from community so that we can like do our work more efficiently and more effectively. Exactly, and that's the thing that everybody, and I, I'm happy to hear that shit because that's what we all need to be asking ourselves, right? Like, I'm just doing this research to do it, you know, no more like observations. Like we've observed, observed. It's like, okay, what are we going to do about these observations though? We can definitely talk the talk. Like racism's bad. Everybody's gonna say that, you know, health equity is good. But in practice, how are we doing that really? At Gillings, we are prioritizing practice and the idea of public health in action. We do research with an eye to real world impact. When it comes to health inequities between different populations, we know what the problems are. Now we must collaborate with communities to solve them. Pregnancy and childbirth are incredibly personal experiences, which means support is going to look different depending on the needs of a community. Improving inequities in maternal and child health means we need to go beyond the theoretical. We need to partner with communities directly, letting them lead, elevating their voices, and leveraging the work they have already done to create solutions that lead to healthier, happier families. Thanks for listening to The Pivot, brought to you by the Gilling School of Global Public Health at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This show is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Megan Palmer. And I'm Jenny Saya. We'll talk to you next time on The Pivot. Thank you.